The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Amen. You guys can be seated. Kids, you're dismissed to head off to your classes. And if you guys would, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, stick a hand up nice and high, wave it around, whatever you got to do to get these guys' attention, and they will make sure that you get one. Um, and as we're turning there, I have a couple of announcements to cover with you guys really quickly. Um, first of all, starting October 2nd, the first Sunday in October, as we've been announcing, we are making the jump now to a two-service format here on Sundays. Um, our goal is to just try to make bigger, smaller. And so what we'll be doing is switching to a 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're going to try that on for a little while, see if it fits and see if that works. Um, but uh, we need a lot more volunteers to help fill some of the holes. And we have a volunteer training day that's going to actually be a lot of fun. We're, we're really putting a lot of effort into this to make it not just like some boring Saturday morning training thing, but it's going to be a lot of fun. It's coming up on September 10th. So uh, if you have opportunity if you, to, to really jump in and help serve the body and serve one another in that capacity, that would be an awesome, awesome thing. We'd appreciate that. Um, also, on September 7th, our Wednesday night services and our Awana program kicks back up. So Wednesday night, September 7th will be the first week of that. That means, too, for us grown-ups, uh, we will be launching a new series on September 7th, Wednesday night, over at The Hub, um, just a Bible overview class. We're going to start out with the Old Testament, and we're just going to be taking a whole book of the Bible in one night, and the goal being equipping you and equipping one another to be able to read and study these things on our own. That's going to be the goal, so you're not going to want to miss out on that. Um, also... Um, uh, the Iwana program, by the way, needs a lot more help. If any of you parents want to jump in on that, they would really appreciate that. So if you could talk to someone over in the children's wing or Pastor Brent, stick a hand up nice and high, Pastor Brent. There you go. Everybody say hi, Pastor Brent. Be nice. Brent, don't be rude. There we go. Um, so uh, if you could get a hold of him or the guys over there, that would be super helpful. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Um, uh, just if you would, you probably, when you came in, should have got a little blue flyer with a bunch of stuff on that. If you'll check that out or you can stop at the information table on your way out or check out our website, we'd encourage you guys to do that and get plugged into some of the things that the Lord's doing around here. Um, this morning, we're going to jump right in because we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to, it's kind of a part two. Um, if you were here last week, you know Jeff talked for a really, really long time. What you don't know is I didn't cover half the stuff I actually wanted to talk about. Um, and so we're going to spend some time kind of closing the loop on that before we go on here in Philippians. Um, but if you would, would you join me in honor of the reading of God's word? Would you join me on your feet? And uh, we're going to read God's word when I finish the passage that we're going to be covering. As you guys know, this is new, but we're, this isn't going away, so you might as well just embrace it. Got it, church? Uh, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and you're going to respond with? Thanks be to God. All right, we're getting there. So that's where we're going to be. Philippians chapter 4 this morning, and I'm going to start reading in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray.
Lord, your servant David said, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. That's our desire, Lord. I pray, God, this morning that you would just heal. I pray, God, this morning you would protect. I pray, God, this morning that your church would feel the tangible presence of the Lord Almighty. God, I pray you would release people from bondage. I pray you would free people from everything from sin to fear and anxiety. And I pray, God, this morning that we would again realize that you are the lifter of our head. You are our protector. You are our God and King, our very present help in time of trouble. So Lord, I ask that you would do this work. Lord, I am so not worthy of your word, of being used in this way, but I know you love your church. So I ask God, by your mercy, that you would speak through the words that are given and minister to the hearts, minds, soul, the needs of your people to the end that you are more glorified and that your people understand to a greater and greater degree the amazing, deep, unbelievable love of God. So may you be here this morning, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, my King, my Rock, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to really be focusing on verse 7. Um, if you weren't with us last week, um, last week was um, a, a very personal message for me. Um, I told the guys last week, I told everybody that was here last week, I've probably never tried to get out of a teaching any harder than I tried to get out of last week's teaching. I tried to give it to Sam Several times I gave it to Sam, and then I took it back, and then I gave it to Sam. He thought I was just insane. Um, I looked for opportunities to take our family out of town. All these different things just had been really struggling with a lot of things. It had been a really difficult season for me, and I tried so hard, but the Lord in his providence was like, no, this is just what I have for you this week. And I just realized he'd kind of made it where I didn't have any choice but to teach. And then I opened up the Word, and I saw the words as I began to study. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I shared with you guys last week that um, much of my life has been characterized by struggles with great anxiety, but probably never to the level that I've been wrestling with lately. Just in one of those seasons. We've been in those seasons before where it just seems like everything's coming at you from every angle. And, and if you're anything like me, like my mind will not shut off. I've got to fix everything. I've got to figure everything out. I've got to work through all this stuff and laying in bed at night, not being able to shut my mind down from these things. And every possible worst case scenario just circling round and round and round. And then when you wrestle with fear and anxiety, a lot of times along with those kind of things comes sleeplessness, insomnia, even things of a physical nature like difficulties with eating and all that kind of stuff. And it just, we can end up in an incredibly unhealthy place. 
And so last week, we spent some time kind of talking about that, the reality of anxiety, the, the reality of the problem of fears and anxieties in our culture, which is um, significantly higher and different maybe than any culture that's ever existed in many ways. And, and what I saw in that, it's, it's funny, I, it's maybe the longest sermon I've ever preached at Heritage. Now, that's hard to believe, but that's, maybe that's true. I had people, some of our youth pastors who were at camp, they had not even heard the sermon. They come back and all they were saying to me is like, yeah, I heard you went to like noon. <laughs> Thank you. But, um, but here, here's the thing. Like the feedback that I've even gotten this week and the interactions that I had with many of you guys has made it really, really clear. This is definitely not a Jeff thing. Like, this is a common thing that we struggle with. And, and I don't know about you, but like I, I know, I even said it last week, like the, the anxiety and fear is not something that a sermon fixes. Like you preach the sermon or you went to the church service and somebody talked about it and you're like, oh, that's right, forgot about that, sweet. And then you never have to worry about that again. My guess is those of you that talked with me even last Sunday talking about your shared struggles with fears and anxieties, maybe you even got hit harder this week. I know I've had opportunity for that. There's, it's a discipline that we wrestle with. And for some of us, wrestling with these things, we've been, we've been built this way for our entire lives. And so just talk about a sermon, doesn't, it's not like a quick fix. The magic words were cast out like some kind of weird spell, and now we don't have that anymore, and we're rejoicing all the time, and let's move on to the next thing. It'd be awesome if that was true. Amen? It's just the world doesn't really work that way. And so what I wanted to do is just take some opportunity today to kind of close that loop. And rather than just going, well, I didn't have time to finish a few of these different things, but let's just move on to the next text. I I really believe that this topic, maybe even just for me, is worthy of our own attention to look at one more time. So last week we talked about the realities of fears and anxieties, and we talked about a lot of different angles of it. But the one thing that I want to pick up on today as we begin to push forward is this. Last week I said this. That all anxiety and fear in the end, when you follow the trail on out, all anxiety and fear in the end is an inability or refusal to truly trust and believe that God is good. That's the, the heart behind, that is the core of every fear and anxiety. When we are bringing all this stuff onto ourselves and we're crippled by this fear that like we don't know the outcome of this, we don't know what's going to happen, and we're gripped by fear because we believe the worst is coming, and that whatever it is that happens, it's not going to work out to our glory. It's going to destroy us is what it's going to do. And we don't know what to do in that moment, whether, it, whether it's a refusal to, whether it's an inability to, I, I don't have the opportunity right now to think about God's goodness. I'm just so consumed by everything that's going on. But at its core, it's an inability or a refusal to truly trust that God is good. That he is, as we talked about last week, that good father, the lifter of our head. The one who's in control of all things. And so with that end, I don't want you to leave Philippians 4. Keep your finger there. But if you would, turn just to the left a little bit. And I want you to look at a passage in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, we have this incredible, powerful picture. And... Included in there, maybe one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Maybe, maybe the verse that sometimes brings me more comfort to, to think, I'm not that messed up. I'm kind of normal, is in this particular text. 
The background of this text is Jesus has just been with three of his servants, three of his disciples that he was the closest to, up on the mountain at what we refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration, that time when Jesus was glorified. It's, it's this miracle where the, the actual deity of God burst forth and was no longer hidden in this, this shroud of humanity that he's been a part of, but God's glory comes forth. And the apostles are there with him, or three of them anyway. And it's this incredible, powerful moment. And then as they're coming back down that mountain from this incredible moment, there's this drama that unfolds down there, which is oftentimes the case, right? I mean, like those of us have been walking with the Lord for a long time know that many times it's after our greatest successes that that's when the opportunities for discouragement and difficulty are going to come the hardest. Amen, church? And so this is what's happening. So they, they're making their way down the hill and the rest of the apostles are all down there. And they've been trying to carry on business as usual, but not with Jesus with them, obviously, in that moment. They've been trying to do what they've always done. Jesus has already commissioned them and empowered them to go and do ministry, to heal sick, to cast out demons, to preach that gospel of this new kingdom to the people that are there. And they've been trying to carry on business as usual as Jesus has been away. But as you're going to see, they've sort of left the power source of everything that God has commissioned them to do behind. And they're doing these things out of their own strength. They're doing this stuff out of their own energy. They're just like, we know what to do. We know how to handle this. They're doing what a lot of people who wrestle with fear and anxiety do. Rather than taking the opportunity to stop and look, as we said last week, into the face of our Father. Rather than to ask God through prayer and supplication, Lord, help. Many times our minds just kick in to this, I gotta fix this, I gotta work all this out. And we just do, and in many cases, because we can. Or at least we've made it or faked it or had some measure of success doing it before. And so this is what the apostles are doing. And it's not working out so well. It says in verse 14, And when they came to the disciples, that's Jesus and the three coming to the rest of the disciples down at the bottom of the hill, they see a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them, which I think is kind of funny. Like Jesus is like, seriously, already? Like we've just been gone for an evening and you've already stirred up this massive commotion. Everybody's arguing. He sees all these guys. It just looks like this chaos that's happened in one evening away. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Now just pause for a minute. Parents especially, but anyone that can put themselves in there. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I read these things, I find myself trying to almost insert myself into the story. Like, how would I see this? How would I feel about this as this is going on? And think about this, parents. You have a son that you love dearly and care for in a culture where family is incredibly important. And yet he's been seized by this spirit. He's mute. You're unable to communicate with him. You're unable to have that natural kind of interaction with your son that you so desperately long for. But, but more than that, this kid is having seizures, violent, scary seizures, foaming at the mouth, 
grinding his teeth, rolling around on the floor, becoming stiff and rigid. Like, just for imagine, if there was ever anything that would cause you great fear and anxiety, wouldn't it be this? Like, how scary is this for a parent? Have you ever had anything happening with your child that made you think, is this it? Is this taking my child? I can remember when my kids were young, they got, um, what, what is that cough? The one that's just like the, it sounds like death. Whooping cough. There's nothing you can do about it, right? There's nothing you can do about it. It just has to pass. But my daughter was just coughing and coughing. The only thing that would help is it was kind of in the wintertime or at least close to it. I don't remember exactly. And I remember we would go outside and sit outside. That cold air seemed to help a little bit. But we're laying in this other room, and in the bedroom, we could just hear this deep, wheezing, exhausting sounding cough. And here's the thing we knew that's what it was. We knew. We knew there was nothing we could do, but you're just laying there hearing it over and over and over, and the anxiety is building and building and building, this feeling like I just have to do something. So here we are at 2 a.m., knowing it's that cough, knowing there's nothing we can do, knowing doctors are going to say it's just going to have to pass, in the car, driving to the ER, because the fear and anxiety in us, like, what if it's not? Like, we need help. we got to do something. We have to do something. And that's just over a cough. Like, imagine this dad. And he's come to the apostles. I've heard of what you can do, and my son's in trouble, and I need help. And it has failed. Everything's failed. No one's fixed it. Nothing's been able to deal with it. And and Jesus comes, and he runs to Jesus. In the same way that Paul would encourage us, even in the text in Philippians, when those fear and anxieties grip him, that we are to go to the Lord. This father runs to Jesus and, and says, the apostles came and, and they were trying to do their thing with him and they couldn't fix him either. They were not able to do it. And listen, what was the response of Jesus to the apostles? Oh, faithless generation. You don't have faith. You don't believe. There is a failure to believe and have faith and understanding in the kingdom of God, in the power I've given you, in in what God has called you to do. In God's love, even for this little child, there's this breakdown of faith that's happened. I wonder if the apostles, even seeing the difficulty, just were like, wow, that's different. Never seen that before. Maybe they themselves are beginning to doubt, thinking it was all them. And so they come to Jesus, and Jesus says, you faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So this, has been, this is not a young child. This has been going on for a really long time. And it has often cast him into fire, into water to destroy him. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, those of you that were here last week, and we're going to talk about this a little more in a a minute. Paul says that we're to be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication, go to him. And we talked about supplication. What is the, the absolute core? If you could define supplication in one word, what's that word? Anyone remember? Nobody. Awesome. (laughs) See? It is good that we are doing this again. It's help. It's help. I can't do anything. Lord, help. And this is what he's doing. He's coming to Jesus. And he's saying, 
If you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help. And so what does Jesus say? If I can, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Just have faith. You just got to believe. Have faith. Do you believe? Have faith. And my favorite verse, one of them for sure. I've got like 30 favorite verses. But my favorite verse. Immediately the father of the trial of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is so, I, I, are you not so thankful this is in the Bible? Aren't you? Because isn't this us? Like how many of us have faced stuff in our life and we're like, do we believe that God has the power to deal with it? Of course we do. Do we believe that God loves us and wants to deal with those kind of things? Of course we do. But do we? And that's where that flesh comes in and our fear, we're battling fears and anxieties and doubts and all this stuff comes at once. But praise God for this man that this text has been preserved for us forever to show us that I believe, but help me. Lord, with my unbelief, help me to trust that you have my son's best interest at heart. Help me to believe that though this has been going on for years, that you are still good. Help me to believe that though I have prayed for this kid every day for year after year after year, that you're still good, that you're still powerful, that you actually hear me, that I'm not just wasting my time with all these things. Help me, Lord, to know that you care, that I matter. You ever felt like that? One of the things that we covered last week is that the, the healthiest thing probably that we can do, those of you like me who wrestle with fear and anxiety, is to stop pretending like we don't. To just stop faking it like we've got it all together. To understand that control is an illusion. And to realize the fact that our faith is not built on our own strength, that the power to heal our child or face our anxieties and our fears is not dependent on how strong we are in our faith, but on the subject or the object of our faith. So think about how this guy could have reacted if you believe all things are possible. All right, I'm going to believe. I believe. I can do this. I believe. I believe. But instead, he's still turning to the Lord in the same way Paul would urge us to in Philippians. And he's like, I believe. Lord, help me. With my unbelief. And then as it goes on to say, And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So now go back to Philippians chapter 4. And let's talk for just a minute. Because it's really easy to hear a sermon like last week and write it off as permission to deal with fear and anxiety. Yes, fear and anxiety is real. Yes, God has compassion on those with fear and anxiety. Yes, even the pastor of the church that I was at has fear and anxiety. So it's okay that I have fear and anxiety. But the reality is that God is calling us to something so much better. He's inviting us to something so much better. 
And so we, why should we trust the Lord with our fears and anxieties? And, and why do we go to him? And how do we do this? And, and so I, I know this from the last year or so as we as a church staff have spent a lot of time with leadership coaching and reaching out to, to people in different fields and different worlds and trying to just gain from some of the experience of others, especially regarding a growing church. There was one thing that Chris Mavity of North Coast Church down in San Diego where uh, uh, Larry Osborne and Chris Brown are pastors. Um, one of the things that he was continually pushing into our staff um, about a year ago is he said, look, when you're casting vision, when you're dealing with issues with your church and with your staff, there's all sorts of ways to approach it. And, and most people tend to spend most of their time on the how. Here's how we're going to do this and here's how we're going to approach this. And he goes, but that's backwards. You need to spend your time on the why. Because if you can show people why this is an issue and why it is unacceptable that we stay in this place and why where we want to go is so much better for us, then the how part becomes easy. People will always be on board with what you're doing, but you've got to deal with how. Why are we doing what we're doing? So if we have fear and anxiety, and that's part of our nature, and, and we know that maybe for many of us this will never go away fully until the day that we stand in heaven before God, why should we do what Paul is calling us to do? Why would we do this? And, and, and the answer to this is found in verse 7. This is where we're spending our time today. In verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So listen to me, church. Let me let me tell you what God's been telling me a whole lot over the last, really my whole life, but I'm hearing it in a whole new way right now. Listen, so many times I would hear, hey, be anxious for nothing as this like straight up command that's pointing out my sinfulness because I'm worrying about something or I'm afraid of something. And I would look at it like my fears and my anxieties are a failure because I'm sinning against God. Now I'm scared and I'm worried. Well, be anxious for nothing. Well, now I'm sinning scared and worried. So now my anxiety just skyrocketed, right? But listen, Christian, if, you're, if you are a, I have put my faith in the mercy and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I am a follower of Christ. I'm adopted into his family. If that's you, Christian, can you say amen real quick? Okay, Christian. Sometimes we've got to stop looking at the word of God as being filled with so many commands. and We've got to start looking at them as invitations. This is an invitation to something so much better than that kind of life. And we can look at this sometimes as like, okay, this is just who I am. And God knows it. He wouldn't even talk about it if I wasn't like that. Look, Paul's dealt with this. One of the best churches in history has dealt with this. This is who I am, and I'm just going to hold on and bear down until Jesus comes back. But instead, listen, God is wooing us to be free, to be released from some of these things. So why should we go to the Lord? Because he commands it. Well, yes, but it's because he is inviting you to something so much better. And the thing that he's calling to you is found right here in verse 7. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The thing that God is calling us to when he says, hey, when you're filled with fears and anxieties, when you're wrestling with these kind of things, I want you to come to me. Why? Because you're going to give me your peace and anxiety, and I want to, or excuse me, you're going to give me your fears and anxiety. I want to give you my peace. Isn't that what everybody with fear and anxiety wants anyway? Like when you're wrestling with stuff at midnight, when your spouse is already asleep, when you're doing what I've done so many times, you're looking at the clock and doing the math, you know what I'm talking about? 
I got to get up at five. It's one. It's four hours sleep. One five-hour energy will get me through that. Don't you just want peace? Don't you just want those demons of fear to shut up? Don't you just want peace and rest? That's what we want. But listen, God's offering peace, but not that kind of peace. He's offering something way bigger than just our ability to sleep. Look at what it says here. This kind of peace, when it says the peace, what? Of God. He's not just saying, and peace will encompass you. A specific type of peace is what he's offering you. The peace of God. This means the peace God has. The peace God lives in. The peace that is part of who God is. Not just peace in general. Because if the fear and the attack went away, we might be in peace in that moment. That's different than the peace God has. Let me explain. That word is defined by harmonious relations and freedom from disputes, a conscious calm, divine serenity, the peace of God. Now hear this. The peace of God is so much more than just the absence of anxiety. The peace of God is so much more than just the absence of an attack. The peace of God is the Hebrew word shalom. You've heard that before if you've been in the church for very long. Shalom. And you'll hear them, hey, shalom or peace be with you. But you need to understand, while we might say it like, hey, peace be with you or I want peace, what we mean is we just want rest and we want calm and no strife going on around us. But, but the Hebrew concept of shalom is infinitely bigger than that. When the Bible talks about the peace of God or being in peace, it's talking about 100% harmony in every single area of life, in your life and life around you. That means harmony with one another, harmony with yourself, harmony in your relationship with God, harmony in your relationship with creation. Harmony in every relationship around you. It is a holistic thing that means more than just rest or emotional, uh, the, the emotional or mental ability to go. It means your entire well-being, peace, health, shalom. So, so think about it. In the Old Testament, in Genesis 3, Man was in total shalom. We were at peace with God. Our relationship was not tainted by sin. There was perfect interaction between man and God. We were at peace with one another. Adam and Eve had no need to hide from one another. There was no shame. There was no finger pointing. There was no tension. There was no marital strife. There were none of those kind of things. And they were at peace with nature. There was no fear of snakes. There was no fear of sharks. There was no nightmares of an animal eating us. They ate grass. Man had dominion over them all. There was no fear of, what if I fall and skin my knee? There was none of those things. There was total, perfect shalom. Until man rebelled. And what was the rebellion? I will be like God. That was the temptation that Satan offered. If you eat of this fruit that God has forbid you from eat, then you will be like God. And so man takes well, for a lot of people, especially if you're like me, fear and anxiety is sort of wrapped up in this soul, whole, like, I will be my God. And I don't mean necessarily some form of self-worship. I mean, like, there's a problem coming, and we have fear and anxiety because a lot of times, rather than going to God, we will be our own God because we're just going to figure it out ourselves. 
And our minds just cannot shut off. Like if I do this or I'll do that or maybe I should do that and and just constantly work. I'm going to figure all of these sorts of things out. But what was the end result really? Was it about a I can be my own God by doing things on my own? my, My benefit or the result will be shalom? No. It was a absolute obliteration of all shalom. Because you see there's no more harmony between man and God. You see it at the very beginning. Man is hiding from God. God comes in and says, Adam, where are you? That close, intimate, harmonious relationship between man and God was severed. There was no harmony between man and woman. They're hiding from one another. They're covering one another up. They're blaming one another. And then even in the curse, God points out that there's going to be strife in your relationships moving forward. That perfect peace and harmony that we all want and we in our minds and I think this is a memory trace God designed but in our minds when we think about our marriages in the future we think I'm going to marry the perfect guy and we're going to have that like that's what you're looking for and it's broken and there's no more peace with nature there's thorns thistles the ground is now going to fight back against Adam there's going to be tension even between human and animal fear of snakes now happens Like there's all of this kind of stuff. So everything has been broken. Praise God though that even in that moment, God said from that very moment, my son is coming. He's going to right the wrong. He'll crush the head of the snake. He is the one that's going to repair all of these things. But this is the reality of what happened. We've crushed and absolutely destroyed the shalom that God wants for us. But when God says here in Philippians 4, hey, when when you're grabbed by fear and anxiety and worry, then you come to me and the peace of God that passes understanding. He's saying, I want to give you much, much more than a good night's sleep without your mind worrying. I want to give you shalom. I want to give you, as he's even already talked to the church, as you have one mind and one spirit, I want to give you, as you're coming to me, I want to give you harmony with your brothers and sisters that you haven't had outside of me. I want to give you harmony with the world around you as you understand the greater role of the kingdom. I want to give you harmony with me as you're learning to trust and depend in me and bringing your issues to me. The peace of God denotes the peace that God himself has. So let's ask for just a second too. What kind of peace does God have? When stuff goes down that strikes us and grips us and has us, what kind of peace does God have? Here's the kind of peace that God has. The Bible teaches really clearly that God is all-knowing. Amen? We agree with that? Do you know what that means? If anxiety is defined by the fear of an uncertain outcome, there's no such thing in God's realm as an uncertain outcome. Anxiety can't exist in God because he knows. He already knows what's going to happen. There is nothing in our life or existence ever. I love the way Matt Chandler puts this. He said, there's nothing that has ever happened in our life where God was looking down. It happened and he went, what? He has never grabbed Jesus and the Holy Spirit in some sort of 911 emergency meeting and said, like, where were you? What happened? Not once. From the moment you were born, he already knew all of it. He already knew the sins we were going to commit before. He carried those sins to the cross. That's how much he knew them. There's no surprise. 
There's no shock. Now, stuff comes at us, and we don't know the outcome. We don't know what's going to happen, and, and many times, that's what the fear is, and that's why our minds are up till late hours of the night working through worst-case scenarios, and what if I lose them? What if they die? What if I die? What if I never get this? What if I'm always alone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but the peace of God means that God knows everything, so therefore, there's no such thing as anxiety because he already knows what's going to happen, and he's not surprised. That's what he wants to give you. Can I just get a little amen for how amazing that is? That's what that means. The peace of God. I I, I was thinking about this. I think it's awesome, as I shared with you last week, like the... um, a lot of the tension and anxiety that I've been just learning to work through and even in our household lately is, has been just that we, we've adopted this kid. We've got this new five-year-old in our house and just the, the tension that's come with that and we're tired, all these kinds of things. But it's just been amazing. I realized this week that the things that God is teaching me about him in those things always seem to revolve around this boy that I would love to blame the situation as being the cause of all my anxiety. Isn't that weird how the Lord works? That, man, we always learn through the hard seasons, right? That God's in those things, right? And so Bentley, my son, has been with us now for a little while, but we went to, uh, as you guys know, we went to uh, on vacation in like June, and we went to um, Disney, I never get it right, the one in Florida, World, Disney World. And we went to Disney World, and there they had the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Now, if you think that's demonic because of skeletons and all that kind of stuff, um, just judge me later, please. Let me get through this analogy. You're like, there's rum on that ride. There's a, Okay, sorry. But, um, <clears throat> so here's, here's how this whole thing went down. Billy's a five-year-old boy. He's never been to nothing. He's never been to nothing. He'd never been in a swimming pool before we met him, Right? And now we're going into this ride, which on our end, we're like, this is the greatest thing ever. We're out of the sun and it's air conditioning. But if you've been there, you know this. It's dark, right? And you're walking in and, you know, Disney, they do it all upright. There's displays all over the place. And what are the displays? There's a skeleton over there. There's a snake over there. There's pirates all over there with guns and all this kind of stuff. Like, there's nothing about the experience that if you didn't know already what you were doing, there's nothing designed to bring you comfort right? That's how it works. And if you, if you don't remember well, take a small child to Disney World, you'll realize that's most of the rides at Disney World, actually. They're somewhat terrifying, actually. But, so we're in, this, we're in line for this ride. And so here's Bentley, five-year-old boy with me, holding my hand, and he is asking me over and over and over and over and over and over, is it going to be scary? Is there a big drop? Are we going to go down a big hill? Are there going to be skeletons? Is this going to be scary? Am I going to be okay? Do I really have to ride this? Can't we just ride something else? Bad parenting, no son. Can't we, you know. Like that's, that's what's going on, right? That's what's happening the entire time. Now think about this. Why is he so scared? He has no clue what's about to happen. All he sees is darkness. And he has no reason to think anything good is going to happen out of this. He even has no ability in that moment to think something good's going to happen out of this. How do I feel about it with him? I understand that he's afraid right now. I understand that he's going to have to walk through some of that stuff. I'm holding his hand. But, but why am I confident? Because I know what's coming. I know most of it's going to be silly songs and puppets and dogs running around. 
I know that it's air conditioned and cool. I know that things are going to be scary at first, but I know that in the end, we're going to come out the other end. There's going to be light. He's going to be happy. And we're going to be eating that pineapple ice, co- ice cream thing over there at the other end at that part of the Disneyland park. If you know what I mean, proud of you. Like, I know, I know what's going to happen. I've been on it before, but he doesn't. Now, what happened? He's clinging to me. There were times where I was like, you know, son, um, you might want to close your eyes at this part. There is one little drop coming up, and I'll warn you, and I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to be right there with you, and I'm going to hold you through that stuff. And even in that, like, I'm not just like, hey, you'll be fine. Get on the thing and sitting down here in my seat, right? What are you doing? You've got your arm around him. You're telling him over and over and over as you're on that ride. It's going to be okay. This stuff can't hurt you. This stuff can't destroy you. There's so many sermons in this. Like, are you, are you hearing this? Like, this is the kind of peace God has while we are wrapped up in the fear and anxiety of the uncertain outcome of the situations that we're in. That's God. And he wants to give us that exact same assurance that exact same ability. And, and that is absolutely mind-blowing. It is the exact opposite of anxiety. It's confidence is what it is. It's not fake. It's not like, oh, these things don't exist, but it's confidence that God is good, that God loves me, that God has not abandoned me, that God will be with me, that no matter how dark things get and no matter how often I feel like I can't shut my mind off, I'm with Dad, and Dad says I'll be fine. And it is, Paul would say literally, mind-blowing. Because what does he say? It transcends or it passes all understanding. All understanding. There's two different ways to understand that. The the first is this. This was more like John Calvin's teaching um, many years ago. He said this, nothing is more foreign to the human mind than to hope, to have hope in the depths of despair. So the first way to understand this is this, is to understand that Your mind just can't make sense out of the peace God will give you as you come to him during difficult situations. And that is absolutely true. How many times have you who have been walking with the Lord or have known and been close to those who are walking with the Lord who just had this peace? Maybe loved ones who are following Jesus who are at the end of their life and you're scared and worried that you're about to lose them, but they just seem almost offensively fine. You know what I mean? Like, that's true. But there's a second meaning, too. It means this. The peace of God is far superior to human reason. This is what I mean. I can lay in bed night after night after night and try to figure out every possible scenario and try to figure out every approach and come up with the best plan to deal with everything that I see coming my way. And the best of the best of the best of anything I could come up with will fall infinitely short of what God actually wants to do in my life. And so I can wear myself out trying to fix things or I can turn to God who is the true fixer of all things. It transcends human understanding. It transcends our ability to figure these things out. 
And then it says this, and it will not only does he want to give us that peace, like it's something that we keep treasured in our back pocket, but what does he say that that peace is going to do in verse 7? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now here's the picture that Paul has in this scenario. In the city of Philippi, there's a Roman garrison that's been dispatched to that city that's based there. And that Roman garrison, that Ro- those Roman troops, their job in being in a city like Philippi is to protect the peace of Rome, to, to serve and protect, to provide security and protection for that city because that city is considered to be a Roman outpost or almost as if you had cut out a chunk of Rome and you've moved it here to Philippi. So these soldiers are there and commissioned with one job, protect Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And this is what God's saying, look, God wants to give you the peace he experiences so that he can guard and protect your heart and mind. Not just to be able to have peace so I can shut my mind off and not be afraid, but my heart, my mind, it is a holistic well-being. God wants to grant us shalom. That has nothing to do with the circumstances that are going on. He wants to guard us. He wants our entire inner man to be protected. And what is anxiety? It feels exposed and unprotected. It feels defenseless. And God's like, look, I want to give you my peace, that it can protect you, that it can be a shield around you, that it can protect your heart and mind. And so if you're like me at all, many of you are like, I want that. How do we experience that? I'm desperate for that. But that's where we got to go back and remember, just as we talked about last week, the whole verse starts off with a conjunction, and in verse 7, which is doing what? It's tying it back to this concept of prayer. It is the, you know, it's one of the least popular things anyone can preach about is prayer. Like you call a prayer meeting at a church, you'll usually have the least attendance for a prayer meeting than you will for anything else. Preach on anything else and it tends to be, and and here's why I think, I think for the most part, most of us should just feel guilty that we don't do it. But more than that, most of us don't understand exactly how beneficial and important it really is. And that's just the reality. I I know that we covered this last week, but this kind of peace of God is a direct result of prayers to God the Father. But here's what you need to understand. It is not peace that comes from an answered prayer that turned out the way we wanted it. It's not. And there's examples, for example, there's Paul praying that he could get to Rome and praying that he could see these guys and praying that he could get help from those guys. And then you look through Paul's history and you find out, well, he didn't get any help from those guys whatsoever. And uh, he wasn't ever able to go visit these people over here. And he ended up in Rome, but as a prisoner. (laughs) So the peace Paul's talking about can't be something that's tied to the idea that that everything just sort of worked out. It's not a peace knowing that God's going to fix our problems. Because remember, this is a peace that comes from outside even, from beyond even the actual circumstances we're in. So it's not just that if I pray, God's going to give me peace because he's going to fix what I'm dealing with. That's not what it is. God's peace is also not the result of the power or eloquence of our prayers. So new Christian those of you that the, the scariest thing in the world I could do right now is say, let's all get in groups of four and pray. And many of you are afraid of that because you're like, my prayers are very like, um, uh, Lord, hallowed be, um, you know, that, listen, ain't got nothing to do with it. It, 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 ain't, it ain't a speech contest. 
It has nothing to do with you. Think about it. The whole concept of prayer anyway in this situation, if we're talking about supplication, it's a one-word prayer. It's help. And so often we will neglect prayer, especially new Christians. We'll neglect it because they feel like, I'm just not confident enough to do it. But Jesus reminds us in Luke 18, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, religious leader, knows the prayers, eloquent, teacher. Everybody respects the words that comes. And, and what does he say? He says, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's got a five-part sermon already. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And he says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes. There's shame, there's guilt, there's probably fear and anxiety and even approaching God with who he is. But he says, but he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. A one sentence prayer. Help. Help. I can't do this. Help. I need mercy. And what does Jesus say? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For the one who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be, will be um, exalted. So th this is the reality of it. Peace is always a gift of God. It's not something humanly devised. It's not something you're going to earn through a more eloquent prayer. It's not something we're going to muster up through some sort of uh, um, uh, phrase or some sort of eloquent, like it's, like it's a song that's going to touch our hearts. It's not what prayer is. It's going to God and saying, help. God's peace is also not some auto-suggestive form of self-hypnosis. There's a lot of people out there, even in the secular world, who may not be um, subscribers to our faith, but who do understand the importance of faith for people. And so they would encourage you to pray because they just believe, look, that's just a good exercise. But that's not what prayer is. God is real, amen? God hears, amen? Like, this is real, it is an actual conversation with God. It's not therapy or chanting. Prayer is about our openness, about our needs before God, our emptiness in his presence, and our absolute dependence on him. I've said it a million times, God raises children differently than we do. We raise our kids to be independent, but God raises us to depend on him more and more and more every day of our lives. Prayer is about turning to who the lifter of our head is. Prayer is about turning to the one who holds our future in his hand. Prayer is about turning to the one who understands and knows all things, but who loves us so much that he would step out of that power, humble himself to die on the cross for our sins, to raise again in power on the third day, and to say, Jeff, I'm coming back for you. Depend on me. Trust me. O ye of little faith, trust, believe, understand. Now here's the thing. It's easy to talk about prayer. It's easy for you guys even right here to nod your heads and be like, I, I agree, that's right, I need to pray a little bit more. You know what's harder? Praying. Isn't it? It's hard. Can we just be honest? It's hard. It's a, that's why it's called a spiritual discipline. It's hard to discipline ourselves to stop when the difficulties come. But it's because in reality, we're, we're not understanding the reality of what prayer is anyway. And why Paul would say pray without ceasing, that this is part of who you are all along. You're praying before the difficulties come. 
You're praying after the difficulties have come. We are always in close dependence and relationship with God so that when the hard times come, we already have the peace of God. It's not something he just puts on us as like uh, an umbrella for a storm and then we fold up and put away till we need it again. Like, this is what God desires, that we would live in shalom, something that so few of us experience or know anything about. So let's pray. Let's take some time to pray. I'm going to ask the guys to just bring the lights down. And we're going to do this for a few minutes. Let's not be guilty of talking about it and not taking opportunity even now to do it. Amen? So will you bow your heads? Father, we bow before you even right now, Lord, and confess our failure to come to you as much as we should, to confess self-dependence, to confess self-reliance, and to just ask that you would be with your people. So as we take opportunity for those here to pray, Lord, I pray that you would just minister to your people, that they would experience maybe the peace of God, that they would see you, that they would draw closer to you and depend on you. And Lord, for those who may be here among us who have never put their trust in you, May you free them, not just from fear and anxiety, but from sin and damnation. May they put their trust in you and may you save. So I'm just going to give us a few things just as we go through that I want you to pray about. And as we've kind of said before, this is not where we pray for the person sitting next to us or the unbeliever that we don't know. This is about us meeting with God. This is you and God doing work. So I want to start out just a moment to take opportunity to acknowledge even who God is. Will you go to the Lord right now and just confess his majesty and his power, his holiness? As part of what humbling ourselves and going to God is, is about realizing that we are nothing compared to the majesty, the power, the grace, the strength, the holiness of God. So take just a moment to exalt and worship God for who he is. Psalm 66, 18 says this. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And Isaiah 59, 1 through 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save. His ear is not dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. A lot of times we're dealing with fear and anxiety and feeling like God has abandoned us, not because God has, we know that he will never do such a thing, but because our sin has separated us from his presence and we're clinging to something else more tightly than we are him. Take opportunity right now to allow the Lord to search your heart, see if there be any wicked way there and confess your sins before the Lord who is gracious to hear and forgive.
1 Peter 5, 7 says this. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. This is time to say help. To go before God, who is the lifter of our heads, and to ask that he would move, that he would rescue, help, deliver, look upon the difficulties of his people. Ask the Lord for help. Ask him to help you to believe. Ask him to help you to have faith, to understand his power and his goodness and his love. Regardless of how the situation you're praying about turns out, that you would be rooted in him. Ask him that he would grant you the peace that passes understanding. Shalom. tells us that it's in prayer with supplication and thanksgiving. One of the biggest cures for a failure to trust in God's goodness is to take opportunity to reflect on and be thankful for the things he's done for you in the past. So remember, what has he done for you already? What grace and provision has he poured out in your life already? Remember how he's been there? Remember the many times in your life where you thought I'll never get through this one and yet here you are? Take opportunity to remember what God has done. And if you're in the midst of such fear and anxiety right now that you have a hard time even seeing that, then just give him praise and glory and thanksgiving for the fact that he has saved you from your sin. 
that whatever difficulties we're facing right now, he has not marked that against us, but he has forgiven us and that he's promised to return to set our feet in high places, that he's saved us. Give thanks to God. our weakness and our frailty that forgets those things, God, but I'm just so thankful for opportunities, even just like this, to remember how good you are and how much you love us. Father, we believe that, but Lord, help our unbelief. Help us to not just know these things, but to walk in these things. Help us to discipline ourselves, Lord, to be able to come to you in good times and in bad to be so anchored to you, Lord, that when the storms come, we need not despair. We need not have fear and anxiety because we already walk in your peace. But Lord, for those who are struggling with fear and anxiety, I beg of you, God, would you show mercy and release them? Would you show them how you are infinitely more powerful than anything we could fear? If you are for us, then who could be against us? What could separate us from the love of God? for those that have never experienced the love of God, I pray you would fill their hearts and cause them to call out to you even now. Lord, I pray for everyone here, Lord, that you would give us the ability through fears and anxiety to call out to you. Lord, even worshiping and rejoicing can be a source of fear and anxiety, whether it's the fear of man, fear of what people around us would think, slavery to our pride. God, will you set us free? Give us the ability to turn our attention to you, to worship you, to glory in you, to rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. In just a second, Seth's going to close us in song that really just goes along with this same theme, opportunity to even by song pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. But I also know that sometimes it's really difficult. One of the problems often with fear and anxiety is that we just keep it to ourselves. We'll work it out. We'll deal with God. But God has given us a tool even in one another to be able to deal with these sorts of things. So in just a moment, when we stand and sing, I'm going to ask the elders, the shepherding elders here, to just make their way, maybe a few to the front and to the back of the sanctuary, if they can keep from stumbling over us all in the dark. But go to them. Confess your fears and anxieties, our struggles with belief, the things we worry about. Go to one another. The word says confess to one another and know that forgiveness is there. Go to one another and ask for prayer and deliverance. If it's illnesses, the word tells us have the elders pray and lay hands on you. That we're to bear one another's burdens. So let someone come alongside you and pray with you over that thing that's weighing you down. But, but don't come again. This is like you've had week two if you've been here before. This is your second chance God's given you to stop carrying all these things yourselves and to come to one of the brothers, to come to even one of the people God has put in an authority position in the church for the specific reason of ministering to your needs. Will you go to them? 
Will you believe in the power of prayer even from them and trust in the word? Or will we just allow fear, anxiety, worry, all those things to hold us back? The best thing we can do to be released from some of those things is to just stop pretending like we don't have it and to allow God to work. Trust me. So God, as we worship you even now, I pray, Lord, that this same idea, Lord, this this understanding of how good you've been to us, of thanksgiving, but also this, this declaration of help, Lord, as we sing out, may you just further fuel the faith of your people that we would believe in your goodness and your love for us. Would you remind us, Lord, again, that you will never abandon us, you will never forsake us, that though mother and father may fail, you will never leave us that you have a future and hope in mind for us that is good, that you have saved us and destined us for shalom. So if we could all stand, elders, if you could make your way to the back, let's close in song. And let me just challenge you, listen, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Stop pretending, stop faking it. This is usually for men. We don't sing, we don't lift our hands, we jingle the change in our pockets. Hey, this isn't fake. Trust in the Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice, trust, worship, be free. Amen? Let's sing.